welcome to yet another edition of Comfortably a Numb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. This is Blake Anderson from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. What a beautiful day it is outside. And like other parts of the country, we uh, experienced spring pretty early around here. So absolutely amazing to get a little bit of sun on the face. What a difference it makes in my day. So I'm very happy to be here and very happy to be diving back into our discussion surrounding Foundation House, which is Umbrella's second stage supportive recovery home for men. Um, on our last cast, I spoke with Eric, our current housing coordinator, as he reflected upon his journey from years of addiction to a life of recovery and what it meant for him to be in the house. Uh, Eric is such a great example of someone who used Foundation House and the supports around him to rebuild his life, to create a new community for himself. He really demonstrated how much you can get out of living in a supportive recovery environment and how patience and connection build the foundation for success and recovery. But similar to recovery, how someone utilizes a place like Foundation House is a very individual thing. I firmly believe that there are so many different ways to achieve success and recovery. Today, I will be speaking with a man by the name of Matt, who has his own unique approach to recovery. Matt saw success through Foundation House, as well as our third stage house, Potter House. Uh, he has now successfully transitioned out into the community and is employed with Umbrella Society as a support worker in a local complex care facility. Matt's journey to recovery and his time in the house did not come without its fair share of setbacks and missteps, but I'm incredibly impressed with how Matt has used these experiences to learn and grow in his recovery. Matt has overcome not only his addiction, but has managed to overcome some major health barriers in his life as well. I'm really proud of how far Matt has come, and I'm very grateful that he's willing to come onto the podcast to share his story. This is the second conversation we're having in a series of three um, celebrating Foundation House and its merits through individuals who experience success through the house. So um, without further ado, Matt. Okay, Matt Begg, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Right on. So Matt, you know, I've known you for quite a long time now, yeah. and uh, we were just talking. You're you're now, what, two and a half years? Uh, That's right. Pretty yes, much? I, uh, give or take, almost two and a half years, let's say. Congratulations. Thank you. It's really cool to see you, you know, go through this journey and, uh, you know, be a small part of it. Um, yeah, Matt, I, I would love to hear, um, and I'm sure everyone would love to hear a little bit about your recovery journey, um, where you started, you know, and where you, in the, in the throes of your addiction, what, you know, where, what you're going through and what process did you take to start, you know, getting on the right track and then what actually kind of started seeing success for you in your recovery? Sure, sure. I uh, I came into my, you know, the worst parts of my addiction a little later in life. I wasn't super into drugs and alcohol when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I started drinking more and then more so doing drugs. And I had a couple rough years where things didn't quite go well and... I wasn't uh, super emotionally equipped to deal with that. I had a bunch of childhood stuff I hadn't dealt with and drugs were there just based on the people I was around, the partners I was with at the time. I was really immersed in drug culture hmm. and I dove headlong into drugs. And uh, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, I'm in, I'm in my mid to late thirties and I'm fully addicted to fentanyl. Um, having severe health problems that uh, I'd gone to detox a couple times and, and it hadn't really done anything. It hadn't really stuck. But so I find myself in emergency. And that's, that's when I met my first umbrella worker. They sat down at my bed in emergency. And um, it's funny because when you're in addiction, you kind of, or at least I didn't believe 
not only that I could get sober, but that I wanted to be sober or that I could possibly live sober and have a normal life. I, I couldn't imagine how people woke up, went to work, came home from work, took care of their kids, their bills, their obligations, their family, whatever stuff they had to do around the house, took care of their financial burdens, social burdens, went to bed, woke up the next day and had the energy and the emotional reservoir to do it. Like that seemed so alien to me when I was in my addiction concept. Yeah. So it wasn't a matter of whether or not I could get sober. It was a, it was like, that was my life. I was going to die young. I was going to die of addiction because that was the only way I could get through the day. And I was sure of it. Um, so I find myself in this emergency bed and an umbrella worker sits down next to me and says, you know, is this life you're comfortable with? Do you, do you like where your life is at? And, and I didn't, I, I have right. post-secondary education. I'd had a career in finance and in publishing and, you know, I didn't expect myself to be an out of work fentanyl addict who right. didn't have another bed to go to after they left emergency. It was like to the street, mm-hmm. right? So no, I didn't like where my life was at, and but I told them, but there isn't really another choice for me. And they said, well, you know, there is. And if you can just do what I say and trust that I know what I'm talking about because I've been there, um, I assure you it'll work out. <clears throat> and I really didn't have any other card to play, so right. that sounded good enough, and I, and I gave it a shot. Um, that was four and a half years ago now. Okay. And it, it's been a long trying journey and at times harder than I expected at times much easier. Um, but also the best years of my life. Right. So that that's kind of how it started. So really like you were at a, you know, as, as we call it the pre-contemplative stage right up until that ER visit or was there, you yeah. know, where there, that was the first time, you know, when you just had that wake up call and it kind of came out of nowhere and having that someone also say that, Hey, this is a, it a was, reality. This is a possibility for you, for you. It was timing really. Right. And okay. luck in, in a lot of sense. Cause like I said, I was, I was months late on my rent in an apartment I had destroyed. And I was so physically ill from my addiction as well as health issues. I'd let fall apart in my addiction that I couldn't sit up without vomiting. So I was so far from being able to solve that, like cobble together rent while managing an opioid addiction, cleaning the apartment, doing all the things I would have needed to do to keep that alive. So I knew going into that emergency room that I was leaving the hospital without a home to return to. Right. Like I was going to be homeless. So the back's against the wall, you know, in so many different respects. But but I'd never been to treatment. It was funny. It was, you know, it's foolish. You don't know what you don't know, but I just kind of assumed it was costed a bunch of money. I was like, well, I don't have that. Right. Right. I don't come from a background of wealth. My family doesn't can't afford a $30,000 treatment bill. So I just kind of assumed you know, I'm going to be on the street. Um, and I was preparing myself emotionally for that. Like mm. I had some drugs in the hospital with me and I was like, okay, so I guess I've got this long to have a roof over my head. Maybe I'll make some phone calls at a functioning cell phone yeah. and see what I can put together. And it was that point at which the umbrella worker came to the bed. And like, I'd like to say it was something different, but like they said that and I kind of heard ongoing housing and i was like sure. okay yeah, yeah that sounds great i would love to have it's somewhere to eat uh, food and and live which was of course a treatment center yeah. um i didn't realize it was free they explained it to me they said you know we could we could probably have you a bed there at the time i was really lucky there was a new treatment center being built sure and so they could get me a bed in this place in in under a week 
right well, you know, yeah. give, give us five days we'll get you this bed so again which is very pretty lucky, pretty lucky. Yeah, as, lucky. as we know that's not you know commonplace so that no. was right so yeah everything kind of lined up for you i had a lot of privilege in that yeah. moment and it's uh i mean it's not as much about recovery but it kind of is because you do need a lot of luck and, and you need support along the way there was no room in detox um so this doctor who saw me they realized they said to me you know if i let you go your your bed's going to be ready in five days you are no longer sick you are a healthy person with respect to everything but your addiction if i let you walk out of this hospital you're gonna relapse you're gonna relapse immediately and i said yes that is true they said you have to stay here so every day the night team is probably going to try and kick you out of the hospital and every night we are going to put an end to it so you be as polite as possible and when that nurse walks up to you at 8 p.m and says what are you still doing here okay we're going to kick you out just remember that's not what's happening and that was right every night the the night team and the night nurse they'd look at my you know my file and they'd say this guy is healthy why is he in emergency taking up space get him out get him out but that doctor ensured i stayed there the whole time they didn't have to do that right um again just another example of being very very fortunate and having people that cared that were somebody know, who yeah. never met me deciding that they were going to try and help me sure. as long as i was trying to help myself i guess yeah um but yeah, we ended up making it to the treatment center and that, uh, that started my journey into, okay. into recovery. Okay. So can you explain your, you know, obviously this is this first, first attempt at, at recovery. Um, you know, as, as we know that, that sometimes doesn't go the way as planned. Can you give us a little bit of an idea on, on what, you know, your, your recovery journey started like, you know, you sure. you went into treatment. I went into treatment. It was a new treatments facility. So they were definitely working out the kinks of how they worked sure but i'd never done it before so i didn't know what to expect And the first thing i didn't know to expect was the huge emotional experience of becoming sober uh, going into early um uh, pause post-acute right. withdrawal uh, i was so emotional and uh i, I was probably uh, uh uh hard to handle there and um I ended up getting kicked out. They kicked me out after okay. I think five months. Uh, I I just refused to not follow some of the rules, right. um, and uh, and so I ended up getting kicked out. And what happened is I ended up having to. I was working with that same umbrella worker. They couldn't get me a bed anywhere else for weeks. So I ended up having to live in the Salvation Army dorms downtown, which is you know a mix of people on the street and people who've just gotten out of prison. Um, so not a sober environment. Right. And I have to sleep with my shoes in my arms and my laptop in my arms. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes there was, you'd wake up to violence in the beds around you. There's, you know, 24 beds in a room filled with folks who are all have varying degrees of uh, distress in their life. So there was a lot of tension there, a lot of violence. But I managed to get through that sober. Wow. before going to a supportive recovery program. And I think that was the first moment that I realized it was about half a year into my first kick at being sober. That was when I realized like I can do this. That must've been so empowering, right? If you're it, in this, it was, it was this hard. potentially triggering environment, you know, a lot of distress yeah. around you and you can still see the course and, 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 you know. and, and the opportunity, like there was people doing drugs all right. around me, right. offering me drugs. Right. So it's right and, in your face. And I just managed to, despite how difficult it was, you know, find that emotional reservoir that only six months earlier, I couldn't believe people had right. there. I was like, sure. It wasn't going to work and paying bills and taking care of kids, but it was certainly an emotional burden. And it was certainly took all of my energy 
and then I would do it again the next day. So it was a small victory because I was homeless, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a job. I didn't have an income. I didn't really know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to get back into any kind of a treatment uh, program, but I was staying sober and I was doing it. Um, so that I think that was when I first realized that the potential for me to be sober and also a functional person, right. having a happy life like that was the first that time glimpse. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Okay. And then I ended up going to supportive recovery and that's a short program. So I was there for two months before a bed opened up for me in foundation house. Right. And that's like, I would say where my, 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 the, the most of my recovery journey happened in that program in foundation house and the third stage house attached to it. It's right. where I spent most of my time in a recovery program and where I learned most of my lessons. So that was where it really kind of started for me, I guess. Right. Well, I'd love to talk about, you know, your experience at foundation house. Um, you know, obviously you, you had a couple couple shots at foundation house, right? Two, it wasn't, that's correct. Can you, can you talk to me about your, your first experience at okay. foundation house? So I show up at foundation house. I've got maybe eight, nine months under my belt of sobriety right. and I get there and I'm feeling really good about things. I get a job really quickly, uh, working with a friend of mine in a startup company and, uh, that's going really well. Uh, and they offer me a place to live and it's a really cheap rent and it would mean getting more hours at work and my recovery had gone really well and I decided I had to I had to take that opportunity because I couldn't afford to let it pass me by and I, and I felt I felt like my recovery had gone pretty good at that point um, I guess what I hadn't realized though is uh, I was very far from ready I hadn't learned, hadn't gained nearly enough of the tools that I needed. Part of recovery is learning to do everything over again. Right. So you really don't know where you're at with a lot of stuff that doesn't happen often. And you face any kind of tragedy, going to see, uh, going to see somebody get married, um, Christmas holidays. You have to do all these things sober before you know if you can do them sober. Right. So I, I, I'm thinking I've got nine months sober. I've got 10 months sober. Why not 10 years when in reality I hadn't done any of that stuff. And most of that sober time was in a treatment center where you're very isolated from the your bubble. Right? Yeah. yeah. You don't make choices. You don't have to face life. So although I had 10 months at the time, I really only had four months of doing stuff, being out in the world, going grocery shopping. And so, so I took it. I, I left foundation house despite people telling me this is not the time, but mm -hmm. House ain't going anywhere, so good luck. Uh, and I took this uh, took this position, and I relapsed almost immediately. Now I didn't realize I'd relapsed. Right. I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll smoke a bit of pot. It's not it's not opioids, right? Um, and then something happened where my mom came to visit. It was right at the beginning of COVID, and so she comes to visit me, and we're walking down the street, and she trips and falls. And it's a really bad fall. She like dives face first into these concrete stairs. Her glasses get shattered. Her face is just crimson mask of blood. She doesn't know where she's at. She's just howling in pain. She can't even put words together. So the ambulance comes to pick her up and I go to hop in. They say, you can't come to the hospital. It's COVID, man. Get out of here. So she's not from Victoria. So she, I got her cell phone. I don't even know if she knows my cell phone number. I don't even know if she knows where she's parked because she's not from here. And I think she's dying. And I can't contact her and it's COVID. So it's like, I can't, like all my resources, I can't 
see my counselor. I can't go to an NA meeting or an AA meeting because all those resources have all closed down because of COVID. And right. I, I'm just standing there in this pool of my mom's blood, holding her broken glasses and her cell phone and not knowing what to do. And by the time she was out of the hospital with like two stitches, totally fine. I'd already relapsed. It was like right. half an hour afterwards. I had already picked up dope and was using again. Those coping mechanisms weren't there. They weren't there they because weren't there. I had didn't never have the armor, right? I hadn't tried that out yeah. yet. I hadn't gone through these things sober. The, the bump in the road, the hadn't, trauma, the, you know, the, whatever, the whatever life road. throws at you. Yeah. That's it. So I had one bad day after already loosening the belt on my sobriety by Opening letting that door crack. That's yeah. it. So I was yeah. already smoking pot. I was already, and then it just took a bad day combined with COVID and, and I'd relapsed. So right. that happened. And, and the, you know what they say is true. A relapse, you just pick up where you left off. And I was full bore right back into it. And I don't even think it was a month later that I called, uh, called you. That's right. And said, uh, you know, you were right. I think, uh, I think I need to start from square one. And, and I did. I went back to detox and right. back through supportive recovery and eventually back to foundation house. Well, you know, and I, I always remember those conversations. They're always hard conversations when someone's wanting to leave. When we know good and well that they're they're not quite ready. I, I always look at it as it's the individual's journey. So at the end of the day, uh, you know, sometimes those are that's the path that they have to walk to to kind of see that other side of it, right? And and I do find and and I think we've been very good about bringing people in. Uh, to the house a second time because a lot of times it's a very different experience you know there's a mm -hmm. there's a different uh, level of enlightenment or you know a little bit more uh, um, yeah a little bit more of an understanding of what they need to do for their recovery and and you sure brought that um, can you can you tell me about what happened in your second experience and, and maybe you know shed light too on on you know what yeah what 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 made foundation house that that safe haven that place that you wanted to come back to um, I think I wanted to come back to it. I didn't leave Foundation House because it wasn't working for me. I think a big difference between that first attempt and the second attempt is in the first attempt, I was trying to get back to a life that was not something I could get back to. I kind of thought, well, could I just go back to my old life but without the drugs and alcohol? Right. So I went about trying to assemble that as fast as possible. I didn't really think of myself as needing a fundamental change to needing to fundamentally heal broken parts of me at my very core i just kind of thought well i had this life it was kind of good until it wasn't i'll just take all the bad parts out go back to the good parts should be fine and that's not how it works at all right you know that life was over right. if i want to have a happy life in sobriety i had to put aside all the other peripheral parts of it all the partying all the drug community all of the unhealthy behavior and had to start focusing on my own mental health, making sure I was good inside right. before trying to be good outside. And so one of the big changes was I was really, I kind of had spent my life running from my problems. And that's what I did when I left Foundation House the first time. There was parts of it that just didn't jive with me very well. I was always out of the house, always busy. So the idea that I had daily responsibilities really irked me because like you know I didn't want something to get in way of my my daily schedule it was my schedule why should I have to do this stuff I'm not even there and that bugged me plus there's this dog that always barked and I just I just wanted to get away from it so the second time I went there I made a decision that I'm not going to run from my problems anymore I'm going to run towards them. I'm going to make sure that I am going to become friends with this dog 
and I'm going right. to do all my daily responsibilities. I'm not going to worry about getting a job right away. I'm not going to worry about putting my old life back together. I'm going to work on fixing these fundamental fundamental character flaws. Right. And and I did. That dog hated me the whole time I was there the first time. And all the way to the last week I was there the second time. The last week I was there, I was always already moving out, already going on to the third stage house. And like it climbed into my bed and slept with me for a couple nights. And I thought oh, that was that. That was the right. last victory I needed from Foundation House before I go. walked out the door. Because, um, yeah, that dog is not quick to to, to love. It, it definitely makes you work for it. Well, you know what? I think that is a piece, you know, that, that yeah, it would be interesting to touch on. Like our, our house dog. Uh, she's a rescue dog and, mm-hmm. and she, um, you know, she has trauma that she's still working through on her own. And um, when new people come to the house, you know, every once in a while, she's picked someone to, to give a hard time to. And, and it takes a lot of effort and and care and commitment to, uh, you know, to really get on like his good side. And she'll really make you make you work for it. And she'll let you have it if you're not working for it. And I, I think. You know, part of that, you know, and, and you kind of said about the chore piece too, there is a bit of a surrender that needs to happen, right? When Absolutely. you get into that house, there is a bit of a, hey, I'm living with 11 other guys who are going through their own struggles. I'm having to pull my weight in the house. I'm having to cook, you know, I'm having to do daily chores. Uh, you know, I'm having to follow, uh, uh, you know, a curfew. Um, I'm going to have to learn to live with this dog. There's a lot that you get t- put to the test, essentially, right? And you ha- it challenges some of the big key aspects, you know, uh, relationships, communication, patience, uh, you know, uh, humility, right. You know, it's, it definitely kind of puts, puts all those to the test, doesn't it? Living with so many people, the dog, the chores, everything about the house, what it helps make clear is that the problem isn't the drugs. The problem isn't the alcohol. I was the person who chose those terrible paths initially. I wasn't, addicted to fentanyl until I decided to start doing fentanyl. Mm. I was the person making unhealthy choices in my life. I was the person hiding from my problems, hiding from my trauma, choosing paths that were destined to be tragic. I had to fix those problems in myself. It wasn't just enough to stop doing the drugs. So going to a place where you have an opportunity to start fixing some of those character issues and saying you know i agreed to do these chores i should probably do the chores i agreed to do them it sounds like such a little thing Hmm. but it's the difference between living in a way you can be proud of you know being a person of their word knowing that when you say something people can trust you is doing stuff that you say you're going to do um taking the months it takes to 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 take this dog for a walk come home, feed it a treat and have it bark at you immediately after you're done every single day for months and continuing to do it just because it wasn't necessarily easy, but it was a goal and you're not going to give up on it just because it's not easy. Those are the building blocks of how you eventually build more important, impactful things in your life, but on those same principles that you're not going to give up on stuff just because it's hard or you're going to do the things you say you're going to do. You're going to be honest mm-hmm. and you're going to be somebody people can count on. And so you do it in a little way in foundation house. Then when you're in a re- like a job, right, or you have children or much more profound responsibilities with more on the line, those same principles apply. 
that right. those same lessons that you learn in Foundation House apply. And then something else that I think was really important, like you said, is that surrender. It was no longer me trying to get back to some arbitrary vision of what I thought my life should be. I just chose to come back into the program and put my faith in the people who had experience doing this with other people and allowed them to tell me when I was ready for what I, what I was ready for. Right. And, and that eventually resulted in me moving into a third stage house and then moving out of a third stage house into my own independent living recently, getting a job now in, in recovery and in addiction and all the other great things that have happened to me. So right. yeah, I would say giving up, uh, kind of relinquishing that agency over what my future might look like and deciding to aim towards my aim, aim myself, trajectorize myself towards my problems and take them head on. Right. Those are the two things that really changed that second time around for me. Okay. Yeah. And I obviously, you know, um, the success you're, you're seeing and, you know, we see it, you know, in your work as well. So Matt, can you just speak really quickly? We're almost out of time, but if you could speak really quickly about your experience, you know, working in the field now that, that you've had, you know, a good, good amount of recovery under your belt and, and now being able to be that role model and that, that leader and, and that voice of recovery, how does, how does that, you know, how does that resonate with you? And, and how, how do you feel about, um, you know, that position that you've been put into? I mean, I couldn't be happier about it. I have never liked the jobs I had. When I was in finance or in publishing, even when I was managing this art gallery, I was never happy doing that work. Um, it was a means to an end. So I was very grateful to find that helping other people in addiction, helping other people who are struggling with these kinds of things has is, is become a passion of mine. It's not just a, a work that I do. I, I really do love the work grateful to be able to do it with an organization that was so instrumental in my own uh, recovery, but just being able to work with people, not only does it help me stay sober, but it helps me turn something that was such a dark period in my life, such a blight on my life. Now it's such an asset I can use, I can turn around and I can give back to my community by virtue of those experiences turn those negative experiences into positive lessons that I can help other people on that journey with. So right. yeah, it's just my absolute pleasure to do it every day. Oh, that's great. You're fantastic at it. Um, so just, just before we, we end, um, you know, we, we touched on foundation house and, and how that was, uh, how that worked for you, how, how you, you know, you came to that understanding of, of what you needed to do for your recovery. This is a model that's worked for so many people from so many different uh, walks of life and, and so many different viewpoints on recovery and, and how to access recovery. What would you say, you know, if, if you could kind of encapsulate, what do you think that lies, what's the success of this program? If you could kind of pinpoint kind of one, you know, one or two aspects of, of why Foundationos works, um, you know, and has worked so well for so many people, uh, can, can you, can you put that into words? I think I can. One of the things that Foundation House offers that's very critical is time. Mm. Um, when you are in a program that's six months or even nine months longer or less, you know you have to have you have to plan ahead. You have to plan past that program, and sometimes things don't always learn, uh, line up. So you have to put your program secondary 
and that's never good. That's never good. In Foundation House, uh, in the umbrella system, you can kind of stop and say, okay, if I need years, I've got them. I, I'm going to give this as much time as it needs, and you can focus 100% on your recovery. So when and if you are in a place of being able to focus 100% on your recovery, they give you all the space you need to do that. That is absolutely critical. Right. And something else that I would say is critical is if it doesn't feel like a benefit when you first get there, but being so close to so many other people because it is so packed full of folks, it, it, it's uncomfortable, certainly, but you just learn lessons rapid fire because you're, you're learning. Everyone's learning each other's lessons with them because you're so close to people. So as other people make mistakes or come to epiphanies or, or make important life changes, you get to be right there on the front lines with them. So you don't have to learn every lesson on yourself. Right. You get to learn your lesson with this Other team people. of people. It's, I would say, similar to you know, being in a, in a platoon of soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. You have each other, and sometimes that's all you have. And they're, they're your armor against the rest of the world when you're vulnerable. They're your, your support and your wisdom when, you're, when, you, when you need wisdom. And they're your friends and your social network when that's what you need. They're your family when that's what you need. It's, 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 it's a team effort when that's what's required. Right. Oftentimes it's not. But when right. it is, when it there's is. a lot of folks there for you. So those two things were really critical for me. That's interesting. Yeah, you know what? I, th I think brotherhood is is always formed in trying times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly it, right? It's mm -hmm. that brotherhood that comes um, because everyone needs to band together of right? <laughs> her survival alone, right? And and that's that I like that. And also, yeah, the time piece. You know, we have a, a fellow who always said, stay until you feel like you're ready and then stay a little bit longer. And I love that line. And I think that that is such a key piece in recovery. You got to just extend that recovery as long as you can. And, and I agree with you. I think having that time and space to, to go through those key aspects in life and, and really navigate recovery on, on the longer, longer term scale is so important. Oh, right? absolutely. If you know how long you need to be at foundation house, you, you, you don't right. <laughs> like, that's the one thing, you know, if that's what you think, right. right. The first absolutely. time I went through, that's how I felt. Yeah. As soon as the right opportunity came, I was out the door and all I did was, you know, yeah. Just put myself right back square one, right? Right, right. Anyways, we're re really proud of you, man, and how far you've come. And uh, it's really cool to see your, your journey and, and now seeing you as a leader in our community and, uh, you know, seeing success and, and out of the houses and kind of back in the community. It's it's something really special, man. And uh, we really appreciate you being part of these podcasts and we'll probably get you back another time to, to speak about other topics because you're a very knowledgeable individual. It would be my pleasure. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much to Matt for having the courage to come on and share his story. Um, I feel that Matt always speaks with such eloquence and is such an engaging speaker when he's talking about his recovery journey, but also about recovery in general. Um, so I'm super grateful to have him on the program. And I'm really happy to hear how much support Matt felt and uh, how much success he saw through our housing program, not just at Foundation House, but at our third stage house, Potter House as well. So, um, you know, really, really proud. Matt's, you know, one of, countless individuals who have really caught their stride through our housing program and something I'm really proud of all the hard work they've put in. I'm really proud of our role as well. So uh, happy to share this story. As I mentioned at the beginning of this cast, this is the second of a three-part series uh, celebrating Foundation House um, through three individuals who have found um, success in their recovery uh, through our housing program. Uh, so really happy in, in two weeks time, uh, we have another 
wonderful man who uh, you know has, has found success in, in his recovery and and has had a, a great great story um, with Foundation House being a part of that. So um, please stay tuned for that. Um, thank you so much for your continued support. It's been great to get the feedback and and so much support uh, about this podcast. I feel that. You know, recovery is something that we just need to talk more and more about and, and know that that recovery is possible. And, uh, you know, I, I hopefully sharing these these stories of, of success and, and resilience, uh, you know, is inspiring to everybody out there. And uh, I hope you keep on listening. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you enjoy your next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening today. My name is Blake Anderson. Uh, catch you in a couple of weeks.